Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. My name is Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Joe. Good evening, Charles. Joe, well, I've taken a little look at the agenda. I noticed that Minnesota losing to the Lions. It's not on here, Joe. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I just didn't really think there was much to really talk about there. Kind of two teams who aren't really going to do much in playoffs. So, um, yeah, oh, we'll just pass on that one. playing it down now. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Listen, <laughs> let's pick up where we left off last week because as we mentioned um, it was sort of breaking news after we'd recorded but Baker Mayfield to the Rams which I think obviously to listeners of the show last week certainly comes as a bit of a surprise to us because we thought San Fran seemed to be the perfect landing spot for Mayfield. They looked in desperate need of a quarterback after Lawrence and Jimmy G went down. They're still playoff contenders. It it just felt like all the stars had aligned. But for anyone who's played fantasy... There's always that other guy who comes and nabs you on the waiver wire. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened this week. And the Rams nabbed Baker Mayfield on the waiver wire in front of San Fran. Yeah, absolutely. But, I, well, look, we'll get into this now, Joe. But certainly from my point of view, I was really, really confused. The Rams don't look like they're in a position to contend for playoffs. So what's this for for them? Look, the Rams are a team who are always going to play competitively. They're not going to be a team who just fades away towards the end of the season, tanks, and lets it all go to pot. That's not how Sean McVay's got to play the game. So they're always going to try to put out the most competitive team possible. There's more to this, though, underlying, and it's Stafford. So let's talk Stafford. He had a uh, spinal contusion. I believe that was the injury, a spinal cord contusion. Now, not being a doctor, that sounds like a bruise on the back to me, but obviously serious enough, he was put on IR. He's not going to play again this season. But there's whispers, Charles. There's whispers. And those whispers are that he may be breaking down. His body may be breaking down. He may need surgery next season, which the Rams are currently denying. But he may not be back on the field again until 2024. Them's the rumours that are swirling. So... In those circumstances, you do need a backup. You need someone behind him. You need someone who potentially may be starting 17 games next season. And that's why the Rams have pivoted so hard, I would believe, towards Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, what, Stafford's 34 now, so he's he's reaching into those years. You know, you've got to rule out the exceptions of, of players like Brady who seemingly go on forever. It's... <sighs> Mayfield, though, does that, uh, to me, that feels like a strange contingency plan, no? Well, Mayfield has been a starting quarterback. Let's let's not forget, five years ago, he was the first pick in the NFL draft. Um, he is someone who, theoretically, should be leading a franchise and should be out there. Now, we spoke about when he left the Browns, and I think we both felt he was perhaps a little bit hard done by there that the problems the Browns had weren't all on Mayfield, that if you put him in the right situation, the right team around him, he can lead a team. If not be the uh, player who spurs him on and drives the victories, he can at least, you know, play like a Jimmy G type figure and not do harm, keep them competitive. And I think that's probably what the Rams are hoping for here. They're probably hoping that they can build a defense that's strong enough around him. If he is starting next season, let's just say the Stafford rumors, but let's just say Stafford isn't starting. And, you know, they can put the pieces around him to put him in a a position to succeed with a team that's going to support him. 
How he left Carolina, though, was a bit weird. The fact that, you know, you had Sam Darnold there, you had PJ Walker, you had Matt Corral, you had those players there, and Baker Mayfield was the odd man out. He couldn't beat a starting spot there. So there's red flags. There are red flags. And there's still red flags for how he's acting right now. I'm not sure if you saw Charles as he came off the field last week. He was doing that stupid head the helmet thing. Oh, yeah. Now, now, What's that all about? Because <laughs> I don't know. No one, no one on the commentary teams, no one on Twitter, no one is looking at that and saying, "Wow, he's putting the team on his back by headbutting those guys wearing the helmets." He's he's really showing that he's a team player and a leader. Like it's just ridiculous, and no one thinks it's cool. No one thinks it's clever. He's done it two or three times now. He's just going to end up in concussion protocol. He's he's acting weird. He's acting like he's got something to prove, but it's. It's not necessarily good to be proving it like that. Yeah, and I suppose for me as well, the other thing that I'm thinking at when I'm looking at this is looking at the flip side, we've seen what a Rams team looks like with Jared Goff at the helm. Now, Jared Goff, not a bad quarterback. He's doing pretty well with the Lions this season. I just don't know if, would I say Mayfield's an upgrade on Goff? Probably not. And we know what the Rams look like with with a quarterback like that. So I just don't understand what they think they're gaining. And I suppose if what you're saying is having somebody who is serviceable like Mayfield can be whilst you're looking for your next quarterback, then maybe I buy that. But then it feels like, yeah, something has to be wrong with Stafford for them to be going to those lengths. Well, like you said, though, he's 34 years old. The other quarterbacks who came from his draft class, now Matt Stafford was the first overall pick back in 2009, but picked fifth that year was Mark Sanchez, New York Jets. I mean, he's long gone now. You had Josh Freeman, gone. Then a few kind of no-name guys like your Pat White, Stephen McGee's, and Rhett Bomas. To give you an idea of how old Matt Stafford is, the last quarterback to be drafted of a 2009 draft class was Julian Edelman. Because let's not forget, he was drafted as a quarterback out of Kent State. Julian Edelman is eating pasture. He's, you know, out to farm somewhere. What I'm trying to say is that a lot of people of Matt Stafford's generation have broken down and the game's up for them. He's not going to play forever. They got the Super Bowl win from him. You've got to think succession. And, you know, if he is breaking down as much as the rumours suggest, I think you could do worse than Baker Mayfield as a bridging quarterback. Hmm. Well, let's dive into that then and take a little look at his first game back. Now, the memes were flowing after that game. We got Brady reincarnated. We got all sorts of stuff coming out here. Listen, I'm I'm trying not to judge harshly because we have to bear in mind that, I mean, he arrived on, what was it, the the Wednesday, playing again on the on the following Thursday. So he was there barely a week with the team. Okay, so you, we've got to but bear he, that in mind. He was there 10 minutes. He was there yeah, 10 minutes. for sure. And I don't think this is an exaggeration. I don't think that this is just an awesome rumor. I think he had 50 practice naps with the team. 50 practice snaps. He didn't know the playbook. There's no way on earth you can know the playbook. I think he knew like eight or nine plays max going into that game. So it was the equivalent of sticking you out there, Charles. All right, maybe his arm's a little bit better. Maybe he's in better shape. But you probably know just as much of a playbook as he did. So we've got to bear that in mind. That being said, though, I think what fell out of that was was absolutely insane. Okay, he he came back in the fourth quarter, but he didn't look good really, for most of the game that he played. I know he didn't start, but when he came in, he looked dicey. But then I think 
you know, we've explained why, but I just think for people to be going the other way round and, and be going like, look at that fourth quarter and he's barely been there. He's going to be great. I, I just think you need to chill on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, But I don't think that you can make any judgments about his performance at all. When you've not had any snaps, when you've not learned a playbook, when you're fresh off the street wearing your jeans, you can't make any judgments at all. See how he's playing next week. Well, I mean, even that next week, it's not really enough time to... No, 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 no. But just look for progress. Look for him to be, you know, hooking up with a couple of wide receivers, looking like uh, he knows their name now. Just look for things to develop on the next few weeks and see where he gets to. But absolutely, you're right. It was a, a nice storyline, a nice script. It's nice for Baker. He he hasn't had the best ride over the last 18 months. So good for him. It was an absolute copy of a script from Monday night previously where Brady came back from 16-3 down in the fourth quarter to win 17-16. The exact same script. But hey, you know, the writers taking a week off this week. <laughs> Striking like everyone else, I imagine, Joe. Striking <laughs> like everyone else. Well, okay, you brought up Brady and that comeback last week. Brady looking less good this week just before we go on to Brady and that's a nice little link in there so sorry to disrupt it I just want to say now that the Raiders have lost to a TV analyst and a quarterback who has been in the building for 10 minutes Uh. (laughs) (laughs) like like it's the Raiders are an absolute shambles absolute shambles and how soon is that sacking going to happen because it should happen now I think really it's time But anyway, you did a nice link in Brady. Brady, the question I'm going to put to you this week, Charles, is did Brady take one year too many? Should he have come back? Is it the old adage there of it's better to retire a year early than a year late? And he's definitely a year late. What do you think? I'll tell you what I think when I hear that question. It's a trap. Because every single goddamn year that is propositioned and every year I sort of go, yeah, do you know what? He's getting old now. Maybe he is. And he comes back and he does something phenomenal. <sighs> Am I going to say it again this year? Who knows? It... Well, let me throw out a few stats to you. So aside from 2008, when Brady was injured, I think he only played one game that season. Brady's only had one season in his million years in the league where he hasn't had at least double digit wins. That's crazy, right? So... That was only in 2002 when the Patriots went 9-7. and seven. It wasn't like they had a bad season. But every other season that he's played, he's had at least 10 wins. Tampa Bay this year are 6-7 and seven with only three games left. They're not going to get to a 10-win season. They'll be lucky to get to his previous worst of nine wins. He's had the lowest TD percentage he's ever had. So 2.9% of his passes are going for TDs. His next lowest was 4.4. So statistically, his TD throwing is the worst it's ever been. It's also by far the lowest QBR rating that he's had. And his QBR rating is 51, which is pretty poor. Statistically, he is having a pretty bad season. Only two games with a pass rating above 100, only five above 90. I mean, these aren't the numbers we normally see from Brady. So, yeah, you're right, Charles. People always say Brady's done and he's not done and then he comes back and wins Super Bowl and all that kind of thing. But the stats are starting to show it now. Yeah, you're right. And I suppose the other thing that I was trying to consider when responding to that question is injuries because you always have to have a little think. Are the injuries around him impacting his ability to play how he normally plays? But when you look at this Tampa Bay team, in terms of injuries that directly affect Brady, I don't think it's awful, if I'm honest. 
Well, look at the start of the season when we were talking about all the wide receivers that they'd got on that roster. When they had Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, Julio Jones, I think it's Scotty Miller was still on the team. And you just went through that list. And they had like easily, easily the best wide receiver roster in the league. Now, you take two of those wide receivers out week in, week out, and it's still a strong wide receiver roster that they have. So he shouldn't be short of people to throw the ball to. You know, you still people like Cam Bray and those kind of guys, they're still tight ends there. So, yeah, maybe there's been a couple of injuries on the offensive line. We know that the offensive line has had its problems. That's not in debate, but it's not a terrible O-line either. Even with the injuries that you've had there, it's still serviceable. So, I think you've got to start looking at Brady. You've got to start looking. And... You know, there's stuff going on for him outside of football. Everyone knows he's going through a divorce, all of those kind of things. Yeah, he might be showing up with his new girlfriend and that kind of stuff. But when you're working out, when you're going to see the kids and that kind of thing, it's probably not too easy. I think this is it, Charles. I think this is it. I think, you know, he had that 10-minute retirement back in the off-season and, and he came back and, you know, crashed his marriage for it. But I don't think he comes back next season now. And so what does that mean for Tampa Bay then? Do you feel that there is enough of a team here outside of Brady for them to either draft some talent or attract some talent and keep this train moving? Or when Brady goes, do they have to completely rethink the whole thing? No, I think they're fundamentally a strong side. As long as, as you touched on, as long as players are fit and healthy. When that O-line is fit and healthy, it's the best O-line in the league probably outside of maybe the Cowboys. The wide receiver core is brilliant. Now, they'll lose a couple of those wide receivers, no doubt, in the offseason, but there's enough there for whoever comes in to have people to throw to. They've got good young players on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, they'll have to look at replacing people like, I don't know, Levante David, those kind of players, but there's strength through this team and the core of this team is pretty good. So... You know, they're going to be drafting pretty early this season. They are, what are they now? They're six and seven. So middling, all right, they're not going to pick up a top 10 draft pick probably, but they're going to be just outside that. Now, they'll probably have enough capital to be aggressive if they want to and trade up and mortgage the future a la San Francisco did. I have a feeling they won't do that, but they can make the moves, they can bring someone on board yeah, this isn't a team I think is going to go into the wilderness, especially as the NFC South is still quite a mess. So, yeah, I think they'll switch to someone else or be competitive. Probably won't be Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask has been a backup, drafted him a couple of seasons ago. But let's see what happens there. Well, here's a question for you, Joe, and this isn't on the agenda at all. But um, while we're talking about it, there's rumours coming out of Green Bay that Love wants out. And as we spoke about previously... Aaron Rodgers is on the books for at least another two years. That's going to be hard to shift. Is there potentially a, a play for a team like Tampa Bay there to come in for somebody like Jordan Love? Or is he too much of an unknown to take a gamble on? Well, of course, Love wants out. Uh, you're a first round draft pick and you're literally just being given scraps when Aaron Rodgers thinks the season's tanked and he just can't be bothered to go out in a cold Lambeau field anymore. It's like, oh yeah, you can go out there and lose now. So, of course, of course you want to move on if you're Jordan Love. Like you say, he's not going to be a starter next year. So, um, you know, that's three years of his career that are gone. And I'm not averse to players sitting on a bench for the first season to learn their craft. It worked very well for Patrick Mahomes. But going into the second season, you should be out there. 
So yeah, of course Love wants out, but would Tampa Bay go and trade for him? I don't think so. The only team who were taking him in the first round were Green Bay. If another team thought he was a first round pick, they would have taken him because it was still, you know, what, 25th overall that Green Bay took Jordan Love. No, I don't think you'd trade anything serious for someone like Jordan Love. Now, if Green Bay really thought he wasn't the future, if they thought that he wasn't going to be around and they were going to take him at a cut price, you know, a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick, something like that, just get something back for him, then maybe. But I think doing that would be such a suicidal move for the front office in Green Bay, just an admission of failure so much, but they're not going to do that. So no, I don't really see the yeah, situation the, evolving. The front office is the only, they're the only people that can't see their own failure in this scenario. <laughs> yeah. Why? What's your kind of view on it, Charles? Well, it's like you said, he wants out. I don't think anyone is unsympathetic to his cause. And quite frankly, if you've got Rodgers for another three years and there's no plan to shift him, well, sorry, another two after this season. and there's Yeah, two, yeah, two. There's no plan to shift him. Then what the hell are you doing with Love? Like his rookie contract will end by the time that Rodgers goes and you'll lose him anyway because he's not hanging You're around. You're not going to pick up the fifth round option. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I don't understand what Green Bay's play here is. It's weird. And quite frankly, I think it is a failing of the front office. I think they've completely mismanaged um, things for quite a while on that front, certainly on the quarterback front. So you've, you've either got to do one thing or, or the other. You commit to Aaron Rodgers, which seemingly is what the team did in terms of the contract extension, in which case, let Love go. Try and get something for him because you're going to lose him anyway if you run Rodgers till the end of his contract. Or you find a way to shift Rodgers and you start giving Love serious minutes. And neither, I think, are realistic. So no, exactly. I, so uh, it's another screw up from the front office. So L- Love is just going to rot on the bench until a front office gets sacked and then someone comes in and trades him for a fourth round draft pick. That's the predo now. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what happens. But no, uh, I don't see Tampa Bay moving for Jordan Love. Now that I've said that, it's going to happen. But uh, <laughs> let's let's wait and see. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on from those quarterbacks. Well, let's talk about a different one, Joe. Let's yeah, let's talk about a different one. So let's go around the league. A little bit of a sum up. Nice to see that Watson still sucks because you had to give him a bit of a benefit of a doubt last week when he hadn't played for about a year and a half, 700 odd days. He came back this week and the Browns looked pretty bad. They got beaten pretty comprehensively by the Bengals and Watson sucked. Yeah, and actually it's really interesting because after we spoke about the Browns in the last episode, I was watching the game this week with a a little bit more of a focus, you know, trying to see, okay, how are the Browns playing these games? Like, is there any character here? Can we see an area of their team which is excelling or which they're trying to kind of funnel things through? They look just as lost as they did last week. What... Was it a run game? Was it the passing game? Like, they weren't doing anything well. It looked... There's no identity. Oh, it looked desperate for them. And then you have to go back to this and say, when they had Mayfield there, they were starting to make traction. They were finally finding a a little bit of success for the first time in in a long time in their history as a franchise. And and now it feels like they've taken 10 steps back. They were... I. just feel that they were a more rounded team, especially when you go back last season. I think the high point for them was when they scored Pittsburgh in the playoffs. 
absolutely dominated them. Okay, that was, you know, the high watermark, but at least they had a identity then. They were a team that were rounded. They were run first, you know, a solid defense. They did everything well, nothing badly, nothing exceptionally great, except for probably the run game. Now you look at this team and what is it? You know, Chubb has gone so far off a boil, he's freezing cold. It feels like they're now they're trying to shift to a team that's a quarterback-led team, but we don't have a playbook, nor do we have a quarterback who's executing. And so, yeah, this is a lost season for the Browns. They're already probably thinking about next season. Yeah. One positive out- outcome from that game, though, certainly in terms of the neutral fan, it's kept the race for that kind of top spot in that division super close because Bengals got their win and the Ravens, without Lamar Jackson, managed to sneak past the Steelers. So that keeps them bang on level. And I, I just, I'm hoping they're still level when they play each other at the end of the season. I think that would be such a good game to watch. And I hope that Lamar's back as soon as possible. Because it would be a shame if the Ravens don't win just for the sake of Lamar having an injury. I think he's, he's you know, day-to-day, week-to-week. He'll be back at some point. Whether Ravens win or lose top spot in the AFC North, they'll still make playoffs. It'll just be a harder road for them. But yeah, absolutely really good to see that. Still a competitive and exciting division there. Uh, Staying in the AFC, Chaz, Jets-Bills. There's one moment in particular I want to talk about this game. Now, you probably would have seen that Mike White took a bit of a pasting this game. I think he had to go to the locker room twice during the game. Uh, One of the things that certainly didn't help him was an absolute missile of a tackle from Milano that was uh, in Madden terms it was an absolute hit stick someone flicked the right stick absolute rib breaker now the commentators were looking uh, for an excuse to call a penalty they were kind of portraying this in a negative light but um this was as textbook as you'll see it's probably the best tackle so clean all so clean that's it it was just so clean caught him sweet head to the side injury-free, that's how you should tackle. That's how you should tackle and not injure yourself or really the other player. There's just so much force to it that it was a rib-breaker, but you tackle like that and everyone's a winner. Yeah, yeah. Um, no no pressure on the quarterback afterwards, rolled away cleanly. It, like Everything about it was, was phenomenal. But I understand where the commentators are coming from in so much as you saw it and you went, oh, oh. But <laughs> yeah. it, it was perfect. There was a brutality to it, but it was absolutely legal. It was wonderful. It's not very often that we wax lyrical about a tackle on this podcast, uh, but if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube. It's pretty special. You don't get too many of them every season. But talking about injuries, now we, now we just said there that that's the kind of tackle that you make those tackles, and as a tackler, you're going to stay healthy. Your head's to the side. You're going in with the shoulder. You're hitting the right spot in the body. There was another head injury controversy this week. It just seems we have one every week now, Charles. Devante Parker, the system's not working really, is it? Uh, yeah, and and I don't know what the workaround is because these people that are analysing the players are meant to be independent. Yeah. They literally just didn't see it, whereas everyone who was watching at home, everyone in the stadium, everyone in the TV studios could see him looking pretty squiffy as he got up there. Well, yeah, it was like two her first time round, right? When he was when he was yeah. running like a duck yeah. and it was like, oh, is someone going to pull him? What's going on here? Like, why is it that everyone else can see this, but the people who are supposed to be looking out for this are the only ones who are not seeing it? 
yeah and look the other thing that i really want to reiterate with this because we've said this before it is not the player's responsibility to make that call. They are always going to want to stay on the field. The whole reason that you have a host of professionals looking out for this kind of thing is because they are the ones who are outside of the game, can see the bigger picture, and they're meant to make those independent calls. And what are they looking at? How are they missing this? It's a a massive problem now. It's not just a one-off. It's not been one. It has been several this season. With all the noises that the National Football League has to make about, you know, CTE and head injuries, they have to make these noises because they'll get their pants sued off once again. So they're making all these noises, talking the talk. But if stuff is just basic as this is being missed, then the system is massively broken and still needs a change. And me personally, I'd give it to the TV studios. Make the TV studios almost responsible for these head injury plays because everyone who's watching it from home, everyone in the TV studio can see these things. So, you know, let our Michaels call it for all I care. He'll do a better job than what the on-site doctors are doing. This, yeah. I mean, the thing that was wild was that eventually it was Nelson Aguilar that had to had to stop things and call for medical attention. How are you... Dr. Agalor. How are you Dr. relying Aguilar. on another player to call, to bring attention to that situation? That is absolutely wild. But it, it has now triggered a review of how that's been handled. And I assume because it's not the first time that's happened this season. Because we saw it with Tua. We're now, we've now seen it. But we it had with, a review with Tua as well. Though. Well, yeah, but you've got to think Let's that, not forget. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But you've got to start thinking now that second time this is happening, we've got to start taking it seriously. But let's wait and see what happens. Let's see if there are any rule changes in the off-season. Um, because something needs to change because it's not working. Call me cynical, but we should have had something change more notably when the Tua thing happened. Oh, they 100%. They didn't fix it. Yeah, it, it's just a common theme, and we shouldn't be talking about it as much as we have done this season. But it's it's almost a weekly occurrence now. Yeah. L- listen, you don't change this, you're going to get another film with Will Smith doing a terrible Nigerian accent. Is that what you want? <laughs> Is that what you want? Is that what you want? You won't get an Oscar for it, he's not allowed. <laughs> Take that accent out of your mouth. <laughs> Very good. Well, Charles, it's, it's been fun. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Hopefully we won't be talking about head injuries again. Fingers crossed. Till next week, Joe.